Hey, it's Chris, the Supply Chain Doctor. Over the years, I've interviewed some of the brightest minds and successful leaders in supply chain management. In May 2020, I sat down with supply chain leader Ken Ackerman to learn more about him and collect a little supply chain management history. After the interview, Ken told me about a similar interview he had with Dr. Jim Stock many years prior and the related work Dr. Stock did. In November 2020, I was able to catch up with Dr. Stock to learn about him and his work. As an academic in the world of transportation, logistics, and what we now call supply chain management, Jim was well connected to many of the original academic thought leaders in the space. Jim did interviews with many of these thought leaders and shared them with me. The list includes Ken Ackerman, Don Bowersox, James Haskett, Bud Lalonde, John Langley Jr., Tom Menser, Tom Spee, and Daniel Wren. To carry on the great work started by Dr. Jim Stock, I'm dusting off these interviews and bringing them to you to help you get a better understanding of supply chain management and hopefully become a more effective supply chain professional. He and my mother just said, let's take our savings and walk away and uh, started their own company. And uh, by the t- make a long story short, by the time uh, I was ready to head off to college, my dad was getting close to retiring and owned four successful companies. Well, that's a, that's a tough model to follow. So I was looking for an engineering school, but I was looking for one where I could pay my own way. Um, and my guidance counselor came up to me during study hall one day and said, uh, uh, have you considered General Motors Institute? And, and I said, what, what you say at those times, you know, is I don't want to be an mecha- auto mechanic. <laughs> and she said, no, it's a, it's a 50-year-old accredited engineering institute that GM just happens to, to run. They just started to produce more engineers back in the, back in the 20s. Uh, and that's kind of how I transitioned from high school to um, I applied to GM, went through a, a ton of interviews, getting accepted in the, in the school and then getting accepted by a, a GM plant uh, because you're a co-op student for, uh, for five years. It's a five-year uh, five program. Um, and uh, deciding that that's where I, where I wanted to go. I didn't actually, I, I felt like I didn't have a lot of options because it was there or, or several other schools where, you know, they weren't as strong engineering and, and I was going to have to depend more on my parents. My parents were willing to put me through college, but I, I wanted to kind of go out and prove that I could do it myself. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get into your college years, thinking back through your, your high school, uh, you mentioned <laughs> the civics instructor mm-hmm. that you had. Uh, yeah. What were your favorite courses within the uh, within the high school? Um, well, interestingly enough, civics wasn't it. Um, the uh, uh, you know, civics I think was more the instructor mm-hmm. and and kind of how things uh, uh, how things progressed. Um, uh, I, I have to admit, I did develop, I should have mentioned this earlier, uh, I'm amazed that every American doesn't regularly read the U.S. Constitution. And I, th- I think that's what Mr. King got across to me, was, was we are governed by a living document. And this document was written by 
people who wanted to form a, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, and we, but we don't trust the people. We can't trust individuals to do the right thing. We can't trust individuals that given absolute power, they won't absolutely use it. So they built what I thought is a marvelously uh, intricate document of checks and balances and the ability to grow. People complain the Constitution's vague in places. It's vague for a reason. It's vague to, to let 200 years later the documents still run this land. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I know the, the, uh, later in life I developed a, a fascination with, with uh, the, the civics part of, of who we are as citizens. Mm -hmm. um, but my interest, uh, I actually thought at one time about majoring in mathematics. Uh, I loved math. I loved the elegance of, of math. Uh, you know, one of my daughters is very quantitatively oriented. She understands it. The other is ex exact opposite, and she said she gets nauseous when she looks at the, <laughs> the page of some of the articles that you've sent me to, to read. And, you know, to me, mathematics is just a different language. Um, I mean, in terms of the symbols that we use, you can still read it like a sentence uh, if you want. But I've always been fascinated with the quantitative sciences. Uh, uh, that led me to a fascination with, uh, uh, with physics. I loved physics because mathematically I could figure out why when X happened, Y happened. I hated chemistry and as a result I think I hated biochemistry because a large part of, of chemistry, no offense, it's, a, I mean, it's an important area of study, but to me, certainly as a high school student, chemistry was always these logical things happen and then something happens that we can't explain and we haven't even got a clue as far as we know a miracle has happened and then we go on and we do these things and that part in the middle bothered me. You know, I wanted the I wanted the explanation. I didn't want the the you know a man a woman go through this physical act, and you know these various things happen, and then suddenly a new life is formed. A lot of it's is chemistry, and and it's the it's the part of chemistry that they just say, well, we'll just kind of accept that. So so I was definitely a physical sciences kind of guy. Okay, hated, hated French. Love, love, <laughs> love French today. Wish I'd paid more attention, but hated it at the time. Now, were you active? You mentioned uh, football in one of your uh, comments. Were you active in sports or clubs? Um, clubs, not really. Uh, uh, I, you know, I finished valedictorian in my class. Um, not that hard when there's 42 of us, but, but still, you know, I finished valedictorian and. I think in the spring, the Honor Society realized, wait a minute, our valedictorian is not a member of our club. Uh, maybe we ought to get this guy in here. Uh, so that's the only club I can remember belonging to. I, I used to say I belonged to the detention club because I was a, I was a, 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 a well-graded, I mean, good, good uh, not that straight A would be pushing it, but uh, 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 pretty strong grades. Uh, guy that at the same time got a lot of detention hall. You know, again, back to my mother, who's 
my mother's 93 and still going strong, I think, and she'd say, you know, he was always shaving the rules just a little bit. How would you describe yourself socially in uh, high school? Oh, when you talked about clubs and, and, uh -huh. uh, and football, uh, yeah, the football, uh, I was a good but, but not great player, I think. Um, uh, I couldn't run worth a darn. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've somewhere I've got a clipping from my football coach in, in high school, and he said, uh, uh, anything the guy touches, he catches. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty nice mm -hmm. characteristic for a receiver. Now, once I caught the ball, I didn't go very far because I wasn't <laughs> that nimble, I wasn't that fast. So I made the perfect what's called tight end. You know, a tight end on a lot of plays, actually, he's got to be big enough to, to, to block um, uh, and, and actually do, you know, be part of the line. But the, the thing I always thought I knew was made me a good tight end is I always knew where the, I always knew where the first down marker was. So any play where I was supposed to go out and do something, I always made sure that I passed that marker. So if the quarterback could get the ball there, I was taller than most people. I could reach up the top of the pack and catch it. Now, I might catch it and they'd immediately tackle me, but we had a first down. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was, my, that was my claim to fame in football. My, my claim to fame in baseball is I'm ambidextrous. I'm left and right-handed. And as soon as my coach figured that out, he said, which one do you bat, do you, do you bat stronger? And I said, well, I bat right-handed stronger. And he said, well, then every time you go to bat, I want you to bat right-handed. And the first two pitches, um, if, you know, if you get a hit, that's great, get a hit. Um, uh, if you get a ball, whatever. But he said, when you, when you get to... Uh, um, either three balls or two strikes, you know, or both of them at the same time. He said, I want you to step out of the, the batter's box and, uh, you know, clean the mud off your, your shoes and fiddle around a little bit and then step back up and, and bat left-handed. And he said, there isn't a pitcher in the world that's going to be able to adjust to that. And they're invariably going to either throw the ball behind you or so far out that you're going to get walked. And he said, whatever you do, once you do that, don't swing at that pitch because that pitch is going to be wild. Mm -hmm. And, and it were, I, I always could get, it was like, like uh, um, being uh, the, uh, uh, always knowing where the first down marker was. I could always get to first base. I mean, I, we might not get any further, but, uh, but I was, uh, I, I made it to first base. Interesting. So I, 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 I those are, and I ran track, just to, to stay in shape. Mm -hmm. But but I said I consider myself kind of a a good but me, mediocre athlete. Mm -hmm. The next question was your sort of social life in, in uh, high school. How would I, you describe that? I've I uh, um, I, I like women. <laughs> I've always liked women. Uh, I liked women in high school. I uh, um, was fortunate enough to marry somebody that after 30-some years I'm still totally enamored with. But uh, uh, <clears throat> but um, I like dating. I, uh, Brenda and I both talked about the time 
are about the fact that we grew up in a time where you didn't go out as groups. You know, a lot of the, the kids today, they go out as groups. We went out as, uh, you know, you had a date and you might end up in a group together, but everybody was paired with somebody. So uh, I in, really enjoyed the dating scene. And uh, you know, Fridays and Saturday nights, something was wrong if you didn't, you didn't have a date. Uh, I was six foot five at the time. I grew another inch as years went by, but six five at the time and weighed less than 200 pounds. So I was a tall, skinny guy with a full head of hair at the time. And uh, um, uh, so, you know, I certainly wasn't uh, ugly to look at. So I had a good time. Now, considering that period of your life, what would people. Uh, you know find surprising uh, about you when you were a teenager hmm. is there anything that they wouldn't know or would find surprising about you at that time um <laughs> I'm, I'm probably the only the high school student you'll you'll um well that's probably not true anymore nowadays unfortunately but certainly during my time uh i was the only student in, in my school that was the uh, the center of investigation of uh, center of an FBI investigation ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's very common even today <laughs> yeah but uh, um, there was a place where again I grew up uh, a country boy and we used to hunt and uh, uh, I became very good over the years I grew up on a farm did a lot of you know, a lot of shooting, so uh, um, uh, a lot of target shooting, but a lot of hunting with my father and rifle shooting. So I never, never was very good with a pistol because, you know, they don't have a lot of use on a farm. But on a farm, uh, a shotgun, a rifle are basically tools. Um, and I got a lot of ch opportunity to practice. My father was very good uh, with guns. He was very big, very big on teaching gun safety. And then you know, letting us practice. Um, uh, so I was I was a very good uh, competitive uh, skeet shooter with shotguns, uh, and actually was rifle champion uh, several years at uh, uh, at Virginia or excuse me at uh, uh, at GMI because uh, I was I was a very good rifle uh, uh, rifle shooter, but. One of the things we, I, I, I've told, I told my dad, or my dad told me once, he said, it took me half a century to kind of figure out what it did you until you were 14. I realized I liked shooting, I liked hunting, I liked, you know, uh, the, the um, skill it took to have a target and hit it, but I didn't like killing things. So I got so I hunted a lot with my dad, but when you know something was available, I'd never shoot it. Um, I've, I've talked to one of my colleagues. I said, I've, you know, I went deer hunting. I've been deer hunting many, many times. I've never shot at a deer, but I just wanted to see how close I could get to the deer before it realized I was there and and uh, uh, would take off. So anyway, long way around, uh, th there was a place where we used to dove hunt, and. Uh, this this place that we had permission from the farmer to uh, to hunt doves was right near the uh, uh, the old Norfolk and I guess it was B and O back then the mm -hmm. Baltimore and Ohio Railroad has been bought by 
it's part of the chassis system now. Um, but um, it was right by the railroad tracks, and the place where you parked was the rail maintenance area. You know, again, we knew it's a small town; everybody knows everybody. I got permission to park the cars there, and you, you know, we weren't going to break any really big rules. Uh, so I got called out of class one day, and I, I get this. I'm in the middle of something, and they ca- call me to the principal's office. The FBI needs to talk to you. Well, my credibility in high school instantly went up considerably. I was a, a you know an FBI uh, investigative target, and you know these two guys came out. And I was too dumb to call my parents or call a, uh, you know have, call their lawyer. Uh, you know, and they they wanted to talk, and they said, "Do you own a red sports car?" And I did. I owned a, a car I wish I still had today, a 1957 MGA convertible. That's what I had. Did you really? Same year, red color. Red fire engine, red fire engine, red. The battery was behind the seats. Yep. yep. And wasn't that a great car? That was. There's always something wrong with it, but just a, just a, just a great car. So yeah, I drove a I drove a quote red sports car. And they and they said uh, asked me a couple other kind of innocuous questions, and then they said, uh, "Do you fire? Do you have a twenty gauge shotgun?" I said, "Yeah, I do, uh, a little single shot." Um, is this one of your shells? And now I'm starting to get suspicious. You know, the the teenage brain, the it's finally sinking in. There's a pattern to these questions. So I finally I gave my first circumspect answer I said my shotgun fires shells like that that's not necessarily one of my shells but it fires shells like that and I guess they'd had this incident where somebody the red sports car was parked in the parking lot and um, uh, someone was dove hunting you know like we do and decided they weren't getting many doves that day so it was kind of fun when the uh, the B&O, when the train came by to to blast uh, the windshield out, and that's back when trains still had to have a caboose on the end because uh, you had a you had a conductor. Even on a freight train, you had a conductor, and his job on a freight train was to ride in the back and every so often call the engineer because the train might be two miles long and say. Is the front of the train still moving? You know, and <laughs> if the answer is yes, well, we're not. Something's wrong along the way. And and this guy shot out three of the windows in the caboose, and fortunately didn't hurt anybody. But I'm sure scared the the, the daylights out of the 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 conductor. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we're and we're gonna I think we're gonna take you into into town for for you know, further further discussion. Uh, you should you should call your parents. You know, so by this time I finally, you know, call them, meet me at the the. I never never even knew where the FBI headquarters in Charlestown, West Virginia, was, and they uh, they took me in to to uh, to talk, and I I finally, uh, as we were going through this discussion, I said, you know, this is very generic, and they were talking about charges and. And it's a federal offense, and it's assault, and these are serious, and you're you're 17, so you may not be charged. You might not be 
charged as a juvenile. I mean, I'm looking at a very different career path all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I finally had a chance to think about it, and I said, you know, the, the, the gun that I have that fires shells like this is a single shot. And I said, I'd have had plenty of time to reload from shooting out the windshield of the train until the caboose went by 10 minutes later. But there's no way I could have fired three shots into the caboose with this gun because I simply couldn't unload and reload it that fast. And the FBI agent kind of scratched his head for a while and looked at his partner and he said, we're going to go talk to your dad for a while. And... Uh, um, yeah, they kind of went out and had a little conversation with my father and they came back in and they said, well, we want to warn you about a couple of things about parking on Norfolk or being a uh, property without permission. And I said, well, wait a minute, I had permission. Um, and, you know, dove hunting so close to the railroad. Well, I had permission of the, the farmer to be uh, dove hunting. Um, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to let you go, but if, if you think of anything else, let us know. And as we walked out, my dad put his hand on my shoulder and he said, it is darn, it's a darn good thing you thought of that, that uh, loading the gun so fast because they were about to throw you in jail. Uh, so so that was, that's, that's probably something that would... You know, if you saw me up in front of class saying, you know, he, used to, he was an FBI uh, 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 person of interest w at one time, uh, might surprise him. Well, I can't uh, think of any examples that even come close to that in mind. <laughs> but uh, let's move into the college yep. era. Uh, you mentioned the General Motors Institute. Uh, uh, did you put yourself through school? Did your parents help you? Uh, how did that go? Were you the first person in your family to go to college? Um, no, I, my sister, I have an older sister, and uh, um, she, two years older than I am, she went to college, she graduated after me just because of, uh, uh, you know, some extra classes she took, and she was a, was a teacher, so she had some teaching certificate t time that was required in West Virginia. Um, but I also I had a cousin that from the same family group um, who was a teacher, and she was a good ten years older than I was. So she'd been to school. My my cousin Eddie, uh, who is fifteen years was fifteen years older than I I am. I know he went to college. My mother's. Uh, uh, brother was a trained engineer um, who uh, he that's how she and my dad met was through her brother because uh, he and my dad were both uh, engineers at the same plant my father never had uh, more than a high school education he got through high school but barely uh, if you look at the uh, academically um, um, my mother uh, never went to college, but, you know, for women of the time, she wasn't immediately getting married out of high school, so she went to business college and essentially learned uh, uh, not just secretarial skills, but learned the, the, the uh, um, 
business, how to keep books, business mm-hmm. accounting, so that she could uh, be the office manager of a of an office. She eventually ended up being the the woman who who ran my dad's offices for mm-hmm. for him. Uh, so no, there was a, there was a good smattering of. Um, there was never any doubt in the Menser family. There was never any question uh, in my, well, in anybody's mind. It just, I mean, the, the, the idea that my sister Susan and I were not going to go to college was just not a consideration. Um, so it's very different than, it, than that first that first person. Now, I'm one of the, I'm one of the, uh, uh, the first people from uh, uh, Harper's Ferry from my class to go on for a graduate degree. I'm actually one of very few from my class that actually went on to college. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a town where many people went on to college, but I certainly grew up in a family where that was expected. Cool. Now the GMI <laughs> would have been in Michigan. Yes. And you're in in. Uh, uh, the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, yep. Did you? Did they have dormitories? Did you have apartments? Um, where did you live while you were a student? It's actually fairly innovative. The uh, um, uh, at GMI they have a dormitory for the freshman class to kind of get you oriented, and after that you're on your own. And what happened was I I I went to school at in Flint, Michigan, at General Motors Institute. But my sponsoring plant, the plant that wanted me as an engineer when I graduated, was in Wilmington, Delaware. So literally, Jim, for for four and a half of my five years, the last half year was staying in one place, which was wonderful, Mm -hmm. Uh, staying in one place and actually working on a a thesis. but the first four and a half years were live in Wilmington, Delaware for six weeks, pick everything up and move to Flint, Michigan, and freshman year live in a dorm uh, for six weeks, and then six weeks later turn around and go back, back and forth all year round. You know, it was a 12-month-a-year uh, school all year round till the till the next. You know, till till you were done, um, and what happened after the first year was most of the students we we had a very strong fraternity system at GMI, and I think that was as by necessity as much as tradition, because you had these houses that you know you pledged them your freshman year, and if you joined them, you had a place to live while you were in Michigan. Um, Invariably, what would happen was that you'd find these groups of students who would team up, and you have what were called A section and B section. I was in A section, which meant that the third week of August, I headed off to Michigan and I went to school uh, for six weeks. And for those six weeks, my counterpart in B section came back to um, to Wilmington, Delaware lived in my apartment mm. and worked there. And what we do is we'd rent apartments. You'd rent apartments with B-section guys. And you'd have what was called, you know, but usually the big party 
was every six weeks we'd have changeover weekend. And changeover weekend was when everybody was in the, the you know, the same, uh, the same town and we'd have a big, uh, usually a big party and then, you know, either head to work the next morning or, uh, or uh, head off to class the next morning. Um, so, so, yeah, this, there was a very complex social structure that had kind of developed around the necessity of, of having to, you, could, you couldn't spend uh, eight times a year looking for a place to sleep. Now, how did uh, that experience, uh, you know, engineering and GMI, yeah. um, what about that experience led you to go on for a master's degree, not in engineering? Hmm. That's an interesting question. a good question. Um, you know, along the way, I, I was, I was a, a mechanical engineering student. I went there. That's what I wanted to do. I said I love the mechanical stuff. And my freshman year, I figured out that that just managing the design of stuff was boring. Managing the people who did that was pretty interesting stuff. So at the end of my year, now I did, it's, it's just something about the, the, the kind of school that I went to. I had to get permission from the, uh, the plant manager, you know, where I worked to change my major. And I changed from uh, mechanical engineering to what's called industrial administration. The Supply Chain Doctor interviews thought leaders and visionaries who have had an impact on the field of supply chain management, shares professional development concepts for practitioners, and investigates current and future trends in the industry. Interested in sponsoring this show to help you get your message out? Send a note to chris at thescdr.com. We can also help with world-class supply chain education and workshops for you and your team. Thanks for listening.